From high atop Rocky Road in Moab, Utah, it's KZMU News. I'm Molly Marcello. It's Friday, February 18th. Sarah Fields is an expert in uranium. From her base in Moab, she's researched all things radioactive in Utah since 2006. Her one-woman organization, Uranium Watch, fights for environmental protection and cleanup around the region. Reporter Justin Higginbottom and Fields recently toured some LaSalle area uranium mines, currently on standby, for our latest audio portrait. This mine, now called the Energy Queen mine, is the former Hecla mine. It's a uranium mine that last operated in 1982. It's on private land. It's what they call a wet mine. So the mine is actually flooded. And if they wanted to restart the mine, they would have to pump out all the water and treat it with barium chloride. If the LaSalle mines eventually restart and the price of uranium goes up enough for them to start mining again, they might expand the LaSalle mines over to this area and and mine this park. My name is Sarah Fields. I'm with an organization called Uranium Watch here in Moab, Utah. I cover uranium mining and milling issues, mostly in southeast Utah, and other proposed nuclear projects that have popped up in the last 10 or so years that have primarily affect Utah. In the late 70s and early 80s, I lived about 10 miles from where they were building the Diablo Canyon nuclear power plant. And because we were so close and because our friends were involved in opposing the reactor, started getting interested in that. Mostly I was raising my children, but my spouse got very involved um, learning how to access Nuclear Regulatory Commission documents. So you can see where the, the school is, where the library, the community building, and, and see that pile is waste rock pile. And I walked on there, and you can still, you can see pieces of uranium ore in the waste rock pile. What you have here and in other places in this whole area are radon vents where they vent the radon from the underground workings. So when this mine is operating, the radon is vented very close to the school just here. And I've complained a lot about that. Energy Fuels would like to expand the LaSalle complex to the west along the base of the LaSalle Mountains. I mean, they that's already been approved by the EPA and the Utah Division of Oil, Gas, and Mining. As they move closer to 
further west, more of the community will be exposed to radon emissions. And even though they calculate it and they say everything's okay, the fact is that radon, which is a radioactive gas, very rapidly breaks down into other radioactive particulates. It's going out into the community. In Utah, uranium mines are allowed to stay on standby more or less indefinitely. So this has been on standby for 10 years. The Energy Queen was on, has been on standby since 1982. There are other mines that have been on standby for a very lengthy period of time. They don't really do any radioactive monitoring. Wind can just disperse radon, dust, uranium. We'll drive around and you'll see that some of the waste rock is just right next to the road. It's not fenced. But here, you can see here the waste rock, it comes almost down to the road. And people shouldn't really be walking on any of this stuff. But there's no sign, there's no fence, there's no sign that no say. Later, we ended up in southeastern Utah for a couple of summers and got interested in the situation with the Moab uranium mill, the former Atlas mill, which was closed at that time. And there was beginning to be an effort in Moab to get the tailings moved off of the floodplain of the Colorado River. These were things that were affecting my life, affecting my family, affecting my community, and just found I started learning about one thing, and I started then I learned about something else, and there were people who supported me and people I supported. You know, these things just just happen in your life, and. It's been a big center of my life for, for several years. Did a lot of poking around up here and probably knew more about radon vents and their regulation than anybody. I don't know anybody who knows much about them because this is, these have been really the only operating uranium mines in the last 20 years. This whole goes way down into the mine. This is a cattle watering trough and they put it over the top and they put a bunch of dirt on it to keep it solid. There's a hole, the weight of the dirt has made a hole and the rain has made a hole. So this is a hazardous condition. All I have to do is look up the number of this vent. I mean, I have maps, and, and I'll report this to the BLM Division of Oil, Gas, and Mining and to the Division of Air. And I met a lot of great people from other states and even other countries. And in April, some people I met from Japan who are in, affected by Fukushima are going to come to visit Moab and visit other places in southeastern Utah. So I look forward to showing them around. No, I used to do this all, all day, but I've gotten a little bit older and I can't do it all day. But it does take a lot 
of time and interest. Yeah, I can't do it all day. Uranium expert Sarah Fields speaking to reporter Justin Higginbottom for our latest audio portrait. Listener, if you have an idea for someone we should profile, please reach out to news at kzmu.org. And now the weekly newsreel, where we check in with reporters on their latest stories of the Moab area. Grand County commissioners denied a rezone request this week that would have fostered the development of a luxury campground off Highway 313. As the Times Independent's Doug McMurdo explains, the project sparked a larger conversation about the future of short-term rentals in the Moab area. In 2019, the county and the city put a stop to any future overnight accommodations. And one has been approved since then. And that has been out at Westwater, an astrophotography dark skies retreat out at Westwater Canyon, which is closer to Colorado than it is Moab. Sure. That passed, uh, not without not without a little bit of controversy, not without concerns. This Entrada Echo Retreat, glamping, large tents, you know, that whole thing, the project is on Highway 313, mm-hmm. you know, the, the road we all take to get to uh, Dead Horse Point State Park. The uh, developer has agreed to have a conservation easement between the highway and the glamping, and he's uh, agreed to, to do other things. And it's mm-hmm. pretty pretty low-impact development compared to—it's private land, so it could be developed for quite sure. a few things. The commission, you know, there's not a whole lot of institutional memory on the commission right now. You've got uh, Mary McGann and, and Evan Clapper mm. have been there for, for years. Um, Mary voted to support this, and the rest voted no. It was a 5-1 vote with Mary voting in favor and everybody else voting against. And um, some of them are just dead set against any kind of development, mm-hmm. uh, overnight accommodations. And, you know, the warning with this is... We all know that the Utah legislature is going to do what the Utah legislature wants to do. And if Grand County doesn't learn to be more compromising, more flexible mm-hmm. with these things, then the state's going to come in. I would hate to see what would happen if if the state came in and was in charge of uh, how we deal with tourism and how we deal with tourism's impacts. Right. I know that um, it's a really emotional issue for the commissioners, mm-hmm. and it's a really emotional issue for residents And frankly, it's, uh, you know, a different kind of emotion for the business community. So there's a little bit of a a little anxiety, I guess, um, when it comes to these projects. And it's not um, a simple black and white. We want to say no to short-term rentals or yes to short-term rentals. There's a little bit more of a nuanced conversation. Right. And, you know, there's this thought that they don't want to take take them on a case-by-case basis. They mm-hmm. want to have this overarching mm-hmm. uh, overarching plan in place. But there's no way to do this other than case-by-case. They all don't come to you at the same time. That is true. I mean, like, development projects, that's kind of what tests the strength of the code, right? Right. You know, or tests out these new ideas set forth through planning. Right. So Sophia Fisher, a reporter for the Times Independent, put together this piece You know, and in the piece, she says that short-term rental units have outweighed residential units by 70%. Right. That's a big number. And that is something that the commissioners used to deny this particular request. Right. There's there's two words that come to mind when I look at that percentage. Uh, Unsustainable 
and untenable. There's mm-hmm. just no way that we can survive as a community uh, so far out of whack with mm-hmm. our with our overnight rooms compared to our residents. Right. It, it just it can't fly. And this particular request, I mean, this was for a luxury eco retreat, as you say, like a glamping project. They were going to have you know 16 tent sites, and they had you know made all these promises to the county to have employee housing and a conservation easement, um, but there was no guarantee that that would happen. And you said there was like this sense from from Mary in her comments that this is like the best project that they could have asked for (laughs) for this particular zone, right? Right, absolutely. And if they didn't approve that, like maybe something worse would come along, you know, for this particular person. That's exactly it. That's it in a nutshell. And, you know, I want want to reiterate, the state has made it clear that they cannot ban overnight rentals yeah. outright, mm-hmm. and if they and if they try, the state will intervene. Mary spoke to it directly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. She spoke to it directly, and she has the institutional memory to to support that. Others are emphatic that no, no development whatsoever regarding overnight overnight accommodations. No development without like guarantees, and those guarantees aren't in our local code. They're not in our local code, and they're not in state law either. If right. you look at the Cane Creek project that the city is mm-hmm. wrestling with, that's another thing where he says that he's going to build um, 160 units, mm-hmm. and 33% of them will go for affordable housing. But there's no guarantee, and the state the state law doesn't even make them tell the city exactly what their plans are before they change the zoning. So the city council was clearly up against a wall. You know, we are living in an interesting time. You, you just said the city is dealing with these issues. I mean, that was a residential development, but, you know, the county is dealing with overnight accommodations requests, campground requests. It is a big deal. <laughs> it's a, it's a, yeah, it is a big deal. It's not a big, as big a deal as pickleball. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thanks for the transition, Doug. Ties Call me Mr. Segway. Yeah, the TI does have some great photos of pickleball. Tell us about that. Well, um, several city council members and about 40 residents um, gathered at Old City Park Tuesday for a noise demonstration on just how much noise uh, whacking this paddle ball uh, <laughs> around a court makes. Right. And, uh, you know, I don't know how scientific it was, but the, the turnout alone I thought was stunning uh, to have, what, 40 people. And I know a lot of the people that are in the uh, mm-hmm. in the photo, a lot of them are mm-hmm. uh, elected officials and um, pickleball enthusiasts. Mm-hmm. So I think the argument isn't about pickleball. I think I haven't met anybody that doesn't want pickleball courts mm-hmm. or is opposed to pickleball courts. It's location. So this is an ongoing thing. People have a strong interest in figuring out where pickleball courts would be best situated in our little valley. One thing's for sure. I, pickleball is just raging all across the world. It's it's an amazing uh, how popular this sport has become. It's really popular. Well, thanks, Doug. Where else do you want to take us in the Times Independent? Well, we haven't had any court news in a while, and we have, um, this is kind of personal to me because I wrote the original story back in June of uh, 2020. A man by the name of James Murphy was arrested uh, and charged with two counts of uh, aggravated assault resulting in serious bodily injury. And the narrative in the affidavit of probable cause that the sheriff's department wrote uh, just painted a horrible, horrible photo of this like just like systematic beating of his girlfriend oh, with uh, mm-hmm. you know broken bones, a, a brain bleed, 
bruising, uh, signs of being stomped on. Just a, a horrible, horrible story. And we put that on the front page. He was His trial was supposed to start last week or the week before. I'm not positive at this point. In any case, the, the county, Christina Sloan and her prosecutor, Colleen, they uh, hired an expert in domestic violence injuries. And the expert came back with findings that they did not expect but nonetheless, they had to do something about. And those findings were these injuries were consistent with uh, someone who had suffered a, a series of seizures, of medical episodes. Interesting. And the 911 call that he made on June 2nd, 2020, he reported that she was having a seizure. Mm. And when the deputies arrived, um, they found a different uh, a different result, and they thought it was it was domestic violence. Then an investigator came, and uh, he had investigated uh, another allegation of domestic violence against Mr. Murphy in 2010 with his now former wife. Mm-hmm. And the details mm-hmm. of that case and of this case were similar. So I'm not faulting the deputies right. for finding what they found, mm-hmm. and I'm certainly not faulting uh, Christina Sloan for deciding that this case wasn't good for trial. You have a duty, you have an ethical duty as as an attorney to not go to trial if you don't have the evidence, and they certainly didn't. It's a really tough story. I don't know if the guy's walking, because he did plead guilty to a pair of reckless Mm -hmm. endangerment class A misdemeanors for taking too long to call for help for her. I, I don't know if he's a victim of the system or if, if yeah. he got away with one. This is this is difficult. So this is the, the question of seizures. It's complicating the straightforward, this is a domestic violence situation. Right. And I'm sure that there was something going on. Mm-hmm. Um, I, my wife, you know, this is very personal, but my, mm-hmm. my ex-wife, she was a, an epileptic her entire life. Mm-hmm. And... Um, I witnessed probably a dozen, 15 seizures that she had uh, over the years we were together. She had grand mal seizures, which are the most serious. Mm. And uh, she would injure herself. She would bruise when yeah. she would fall. Mm-hmm. Uh, but um, not like this. Not like this. Not yeah. like this. I, yeah. I, I just wanted to share my insights on mm-hmm. this. So I, uh, I don't know. But it was the right decision to not go to trial based on their own experts saying this is this is these are consistent with, with a seizure, not with domestic violence. Yeah, their own experts. Now, Judge Don Trigerson, you say in this piece, sentenced um, Murphy to two years probation, um, and you said that there is still jail time over his head. Yeah, if he gets in trouble between now and the next two years, he'll do a year inside the county jail. Doug, do you want to take us anywhere else in the paper? Uh, on the inside, real quick, I just want people to know that um, on the B section, Sophia has a great, great story about how to become a social media influencer <laughs> while you're hiking in Utah. Her, her and her boyfriend uh, went to uh, Torrey, uh, Capitol Reef, okay. not too long ago, and she wrote a really good Tells the Trails that I, I think people, especially the younger crowd, will really get a... A big kick out of it. A little, I'm, I'm guessing a little tongue-in-cheek. Very tongue-in-cheek. <laughs> okay. Tongue firmly planted in cheek, yes. Doug McMurdo, editor at the Times Independent. Subscription info and more stories can be found at moabtimes.com. A local high school student's extra credit project is getting some well-deserved attention. 
Allison Harford with the Moab Sun News explains. A Grand County High School student, Tyler Herrera, and his father, Herman Herrera, um, worked together on a model of this 18th century American whaling ship called the Essex. And um, the ship turned out amazing. And Tyler did it just as kind of like an extra credit project for his English class. He worked on it with his dad for two months. And Herman Herrera's pretty well known in this community. He works at the recycling center and also his passion is like these wooden models. So they made this incredible model of this ship and Tyler was inspired to make it because his English class was reading Moby Dick. Um, and this is the boat that's in that novel. So he decided to take it a step further and do this cool project with his dad. Mm-hmm. Um, also, Herman, listeners might know, if you tune in every Sunday, Herman is, of course, our intrepid host of <laughs> Entre Las Piedras. So he's been doing that for many, many years. Um, what a talented family. Yeah, honestly. Tyler just decided to do it with his dad. He referenced the movie The Heart of the Sea and images online to design the ship and then they used a dremel tool hammer drill screwdriver carvers um and he said he wasn't sure how many hours it took but he and his dad worked on it for a few days a week for two months so this was the first time that he had done something like this right tyler had Mm -hmm. okay what did he say about the process like did he enjoy himself during this i think he definitely enjoyed it and he's very proud of the way that it turned out very cool. Yeah. You know, I've noticed that Grand County High School has been posting a lot more spotlights on their students. Yeah. You know, tell us about that. Is that how Rachel Fixon kind of got interested in doing this this story? Yeah, that's how she found it, just yeah. through Facebook. Um, and I mean, I think we all know how well-connected Moab Facebook is. <laughs> it's really cool to see community members and especially our high school students like doing cool things yeah and whoever's doing those facebook posts i'm enjoying them they're highlighting some great stuff at green county high and also school district wide so very <laughs> cool where else do you want to take us in the moab sun news today yeah so on the topic of schools the helen m knight elementary school has officially formed a parent teacher association they used to have one a few years ago but it got absorbed into this other parent committee and so These parents started getting together in November of 2021 talking about how they want to have a PTA. Um, And the benefit of a PTA is really just being able to fundraise. Mm. Um, And then you're also kind of connected to the state and national organization. Sure. And so in November, um, a few of the leaders from the Utah Parent Teacher Association, like the statewide PTA, Um, came to elementary school to talk with parents and they presented to an audience of four parents and also me. And so (laughs) it was super small. It was really casual. um, But the parents there were really into this idea. And so on February 3rd, they officially formed it and they have 31 members. So they're doing pretty cool things. I mean, recently they organized purchasing like a bunch of new playground equipment for the elementary school And then I chatted with Reagan Rice, who is a parent of two students, and she's the PTA president. Um, And she said right now what they're focusing on is trying to make like a COVID backup plan. Mm. Um, So basically just a way for parents to help out when teachers are out due to COVID and there's like a lack of substitute teachers. Oh, wow. Like parents could step in? Yeah. And so they're trying to figure out like how that could work. um, And they're working Mm -hmm. with teachers to do that. And 
you know, like parents can volunteer to do recess duty or mm-hmm. lunch duty or these things that usually sure. fall on teachers. And Libby Bailey, who is the assistant principal at the elementary school, um, is the vice principal at the PTA. And she said that she's really excited about the PTA being this collectivity. Mm. Um, She said there's something really powerful about being able to give these parents like a collective voice. And she's also looking forward to recruiting a larger and more diverse demographic of parents Mm. so that they all can talk to each other and have new ideas and then also have a way to communicate better with the school. Mm. So it sounds like, you know, the projects that they have, like you just outlined, it is fundraising, it could be problem solving, which Mm -hmm. is, you know, also fundraising is related to problem solving. Yeah, Reagan Rice just said that with everything going on with COVID, it's just a great way to unite everyone again. Mm. So are there other PTAs in our local schools? No. So this is the only one in the school district. There's one more article that I'm hoping you can touch on in the Mobson News this week related to gardening. Yeah. So Moab gardeners will know that um, garden season is starting again, um, which is really exciting. I'm trying to start a garden this year. Oh, nice. Yeah. So I'm looking forward to it. So there are a couple events that will kick off this growing season. And the main one is the annual seed swap. Um, So the seed swap is a partnership between the Youth Garden Project, Moab Community Gardens, our Village Community Center, the Resiliency Hub, and the Moab Garden Club. Um, So the seed swap will be on Wednesday, February 23rd at 5.30 p.m. at the Youth Garden Project. And everyone is welcome to come and bring seeds to swap or um, like clippings from houseplants. Mm -hmm. Um, And you don't even have to bring seeds. You can just come and get some seeds and ask questions to local gardeners. So I talked to Jessie at the Youth Garden Project, who's the Outreach and Development Coordinator. And she said that this is really the chance for gardeners who know a lot about what they're doing to meet with people who maybe aren't as familiar and just like trade stories and share knowledge. Um, And Becky Mann, who is the manager at Moab Community Gardens, said that this event is just really nice to get people together. Mm. And the Moab Garden community is huge. So it's just like a fun event to get everyone together and meet each other. And also there's a lot of local knowledge that people can share, especially with gardening in the desert, because we live in this area that has a lot of heat in the summer and there's not a lot of water. And so it can be really tricky to garden here. So the seed swap is an opportunity to learn from that and also to get seeds that are used to growing here. Yeah, I think seed swaps Mm -hmm. are so interesting because there are going to be experienced gardeners there who have had success with certain varieties of seeds and they'll be bringing them um, to share with others. Also, Moab Community Gardens recently opened registration for community garden plots for 2022. Um, So there are a couple different plots sizes available at two different garden locations. Um, There are plots at East Bench Community Garden or our Village Community Center, and registration closes on February 28th. And then there's also a fruit tree pruning workshop at our Village Community Center, which is a workshop and a work day to learn about fruit trees. Um, And so the workshop will be on Saturday, February 26th from 10 a.m. to noon at the Community Center. Nice. Amazing. All these gardening events. Yeah. And then I also asked Becky Mann about her 
like three biggest tips for beginner gardeners in Moab. Mm -hmm. And she said, first, just start small and simple um, and start with a manageable chunk so that you don't get discouraged. Um, Second, don't skip the planning. It's really important to understand how much light your garden gets throughout the day Mm. um, and when it gets that light. And that will help you decide how to water your garden. And then third, she said, it's important to get your timing right with planting seeds. So Moab is in zone 7A and that affects when plants can go out so that they don't freeze. So she just encouraged people to, at the seed swap, ask each other when they're starting seedlings. Do you know what you're going to be growing this year? Yeah, I'm going to try to grow tomatoes um, Mm -hmm. because I love summer tomatoes. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'll stick to herbs for now. <laughs> yeah, that, that's as a, a beginner. Yeah, that's my speed is herbs. Let's see if I can keep my herbs alive. Allison Hartford, staff reporter at the Moab Sun News. Subscription info and more stories can be found at moabsunnews.com. That's it for the weekly newsreel, where we check in with reporters on their latest stories of the Moab area. You can find the pieces mentioned today in the show notes at our website, kzmu.org, or wherever you listen to the KZMU News podcast. As always, thank you for tuning in and supporting KZMU Community Powered Radio.